1: Welcome to Sirius XM's Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Was Lynn St. James a trailblazer? Was she even aware that she could be a trendsetter who could set a precedent for young women anywhere who had aspirations for racing careers in IndyCar? Or was she just a Florida woman on the side of a hill outside Turn 1 at the 24-hour of Daytona, sitting on a blanket with a cooler with her husband, wondering how she too could get into a sport where brakes would glow red and engines would roar And normal people doing normal things could do the same thing that a guy named Steve McQueen did. The secretary and piano teacher who drove a Ford Pinto to work by day was mesmerized by what she saw. The whole objective, or goal as she saw it, was to find out how people were doing what they did on the racetrack. So, she secured the Yellow Pages, found the Sports Car Club of America, and drove to West Palm Beach. Lynn St. James joined a driving school and had the vision to just go for it making her debut in the 1973 Amateur Sports Car Club of America race out of nowhere. It was not about blazing trails, setting examples, or generating fan mail, although all of it would come, in some cases, by the bagful. And against all odds, Lynn St. James got the opportunity to test drive for well-known driver and owner Dick Simon in 1988 in Memphis. And she was instantly hooked. And when it came to securing a sponsorship to drive, St. James faced continual rejection. She reportedly asked more than 150 companies for funding before JCPenney agreed, giving her the chance to finally ride with Simon. One decade earlier, Simon had helped make Janet Guthrie's first Indy opportunity possible. And Lynn was the first woman to qualify since then.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the moment for the words we have been waiting to hear has arrived. And to give those words is Chairman Emeritus of the Board of Directors of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Mrs. Mary Holman.
2: Ladies and gentlemen turn your engines
0: Lynn St. James, Mario Andretti all concentrate there was much speculation over the nature of the command that might be given to start the engines as we look at pole sitter Roberto Guerrero. Considering, of course, Lynn St. James' presence, and the three times a woman has been in the field, Speedway officials have always arranged the command so that it would end with the words, gentlemen, start your engines, and they have done it once again. Lynn St. James has received the 1992 Bank One Rookie of the Year Award for 1992.
1: Many more things would follow. She became the first woman to win the Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year Award in 1992 and participated in 17 IndyCar races over the next eight years, making seven starts in the Indy 500, 11 cart, and five Indy Racing League starts. She also had two class victories at the 24 Hours of Daytona and a GTO class win at the 1990 12 Hours of Sebring. She drove Le Mans and the Nürburgring. It was a path that propelled her to the front of the stage, even if, admittedly, she couldn't have told you that the stage was even an ambition that she wanted in the first place. She's the first woman driver to reach over 200 miles an hour on a racetrack. She's met three presidents, was named by Sports Illustrated among the top 100 women athletes of the century. Working Woman magazine named her one of the leaders who changed the world. And today, she's being inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame. As the Hall said, her illustrious career has distinguished her as one of the most successful female drivers in history. In the years following her driving career, St. James has continued to wield influence in the world of racing. She's made a mark as a motivational speaker, author, commentator, and motorsports ambassador. Her long and varied career makes one thing clear. Few people have played a bigger role in advancing a marginalized group within the racing world. Today, Lynn St. James, Hall of Famer, Influencer, and yes, Trailblazer, on the program on the day of her induction into the Automotive Hall of Fame.
2: Hi, I'm Lynn St. James, and this is Cars and Culture with Jason Stein.
1: Well, I'm going to begin with something that I read in Auto Week. Lynn St. James, it was written, has had the kind of career most racers would be jealous of in a decades-long path. She raced at every major endurance sports car event in the world, qualified for the Indianapolis 500 seven times, and set impressive speed records. She didn't come from a racing family or start karting as a toddler. She just had the sheer force of will and determination to push herself into a sport largely devoid of women. Now she's an Automotive Hall of Famer. Congratulations, Lynn.
2: Thank you very much. Still hasn't sunk in yet, but, but thank you so much. Just hearing that, you know, kind of also puts me in perspective of just how amazing it is.
1: When you think about some of those things that auto week wrote and, and we, we go to endurance racing, we go to the, obviously Indianapolis. And we go to the fact that you didn't come from a racing family and actually started, um, when you were 27, uh, you, we had a Ford Pinto you drove to work as a secretary and a piano teacher um, it's kind of crazy to think about where we sit today, right, Lynn?
2: Yeah, I mean, but think about, I mean, I grew up at a different time. I mean, um, you know, I grew up in, in the 60s, 50s and 60s, and, and then sort of came into my adulthood, I guess you'd say, you know, more in the 70s. And so I was doing what society expected women to do and and um but i i had i was incomplete you know i knew that there was something missing i used to drive my first husband crazy you know trying to figure that out and in most cases it probably would be for most women to have children you know to to have children and have a family but that wasn't my my dream or my passion and and actually it wasn't his either and and so we built a business together and and then we went to the races as fans together, and, and then I saw real people drove race cars. They when I went to the Indy 500, those are superhumans. You see, you know Mario Andretti, AJ Foyt, those are not real people. Yes. <laughs> and so, and so that didn't click. Um, the sport clicked, but not the activity in, in seeing me in that role. And so then you know through going to 24 Hours of Daytona and the 12 Hours of Sebring, and yes, there were the superhumans were there too, but so were some just human beings. And um, and then of course finding out about Sports Car Club of America. So, you know, I just took this path of <clears throat> of fan pursue something that's interesting, and then realizing that that maybe there was a role for me in that. And and once I did, I, I've never looked back. So um, so, but, but I think about the 70s. You know, I I when I saw the Ruth Ginsburg film and documentary, and I you know there was a lot about what was going on in the 60s and 70s, and then I thought, well that's when I was growing up. I don't quite remember that was the way it was, because when you're in it, when you're like a kid, you know, you, you don't always see things. I, I have this theory that decades make a difference. And it's not only the decades and in, in, the, in the timing, it's how old you are when it's happening, because you process information differently. And so when I reflected back on those two decades, particularly the 60s and 70s, it looked different than what I thought it was at the time. And so I thought women were crazy, to be honest, that they were out there burning <laughs> the bras and doing crazy you know, things. And, and look, you know, then of course I meet Billie Jean King and I kind of had a different experience about what women When I saw her beat Bobby Riggs on television. I mean, I was a tennis player and I knew I was ever going to be a pro or anything, but, and I remember saying to myself, if she can do that, then I should be able to get behind the wheel of a race car, even if it's a Pinto, you know? I mean, it just sort of set a tone, you know, not just an image, but I think a tone of, um, of kind of stepping into something that maybe would be not considered traditional.
1: 1973, she beat Bobby Riggs at the Houston Astrodome and changed a lot of things as it related to sport. But your big moment came when you went to the 24 hours of Daytona and thought, oh my goodness, You know, I'm. You're sitting outside turn one. You had a blanket. You had a cooler. You stayed all night, and you were mesmerized by what was going on there. And then you go to Sebring, the Twelve Hours of Sebring, and there's this guy named Steve McQueen who's driving. I mean, that was your light bulb moment, even prior to the Billie Jean moment, correct?
2: Well, about the same time, really. I mean, Billie Jean was '73, and I think it was '74. It was in that same year or two, you know. So things come in in increments you know what I mean the impressions um, not decisions but but impressions that are that start noodling through your brain that cause you to take action um, they, they come you know you, know, you talk about an aha moment maybe but it was really more of a little of this a little of that you know the the you know watching the, the brakes glow in turn one, from the outside when, you know, and I was in the stands and then being able to walk through the garages and see the people working. And I mean, it was just, it was, it was a process. It was a process of information flowing into me, resonating with me. And, and so it didn't, it wasn't an aha moment. It was like, okay, you know, let's little pieces are coming into this lint, and it's all sticking. It's all sticking to you. So listen to that and, and then do something about it.
1: You were bitten by the racing bug, but how was that received by your friends and family at the time?
2: Well, fortunately, my, my husband at the time was pretty much as excited as I was, and I was old. I was 27, so even though, you know, you do pay respect for what your parents think, you're really not paying that much attention anymore, <laughs> and so my mom was always worried, you know, because she always worried about me, you know, but but so, and my friends, um. To be really honest, I mean, the only friends I had were the people I worked in business with with my husband and then the people I play tennis with. You know, when you're working and you're owning and operating a business, you're an entrepreneur, you don't have any time. I didn't have any time to go do anything socially, you know, that had no meaning, to be honest. Um, I played tennis to be fit and to be competitive, to kind of keep my competitive juices going. And then I worked. Um, And so, and then of course, when we did start racing, The neighborhood didn't appreciate the fact that you know we would be cranking a motor up at two in the morning to get ready to go to the race. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine that weird weird family on the corner that was doing something different, you know,
1: (laughs) causing quite a stir in the neighborhood.
2: Yes,
1: (laughs) incredible. As you rose through the ranks, uh, you you did so at a time, as you mentioned, that women's rights were enjoying a bit of a reawakening in the United States. Could you have had such a successful career in another generation?
2: Well, certainly not prior to. I mean, you think of Denise McCluggage, you think of, we just saw a documentary on Betty Skelton. Um, Paula Murphy's going to be coming out. There's a new documentary coming out on Paula Murphy. I kind of watched Shirley Bell Downey and Janet Guthrie, and so they... They were denied, in my opinion, the opportunity to have a career, you know, a respected career. And because of the decades that they were doing it. And then if you think about it, if I think about it, I would have had a hell of a career if I had started. If the same person that you're talking to with the same brain and the same same
1: determination,
2: the same determination, If I had had been 20 years younger, do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. Or it had been 20 years later when I started. Ooh, that would have been sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Not complaining about what I've had. I'm very proud. But, you know, there was a lot of unfinished because I was so late coming into all of this. I was late understanding my own strength. I was late um I was late in a lot of things that you know that I would have if I'd had that benefit and and of course if the I mean I don't care it wouldn't wouldn't have made a difference if women were not as accepted but you know as they are now um I don't care I would have still you know channeled through I would have by determination I will not be denied I mean that's very much my DNA
1: Well, you may have been late, but you were also at the right time. And you read an article when you were starting out, after you'd won some races, a few championships, and Ford wanted to provide more opportunities for women in non-traditional roles with the hopes that women would buy more cars. And you decided to approach Ford. And three years later, you were an official Ford driver. It only took three years, but determination, right, Lynn?
2: Oh, yeah, I'm convinced they finally said, if we don't hire this this girl, she's going to drive us crazy. Because I'd send them race results and every little thing, you know, I mean, and I would, I were probably a half a dozen, um, you know, Len Pounds was a guy that I remember reading about in in Speed Sport News, because Chris would always have a name or two that he'd drop into his column. And so, you know, I read a lot. I read Automotive News. I read Advertising Age. I read, you know, all of the racing publications, Auto Week. Um, Speed sport News, because I wanted to just wean as much information about the industry as I possibly could, and of course, if you know, if they quote somebody, that's a name, man. That's a, and that was before Google. Well, you know, how do you find out that person? Where? How do you get their address? How do you get, you know, a mailing address? Or, and so I bugged people. Um, I, you know, I told somebody recently that, and I've never told it re- until recently. And I finally fessed up to this. I created a company called Creative Images, and. And then what I would do is write letters, sponsorship letters. And I'm sure some of the letters I wrote to Ford back then, I would use different names when I signed them because I couldn't, I was promoting Lynn St. James and I couldn't sign it Lynn St. James. I thought, that's so obnoxious. I mean, <laughs> so I would make up a name and, and, and make my company look bigger and, and make it look legitimate. So, um, you know, it, it's, yeah, I, I bugged him. I did bug Ford Motor Company, but I have to credit and I will, Walter Hayes, and you probably remember the name, even though you're quite younger. But um, I mean, he came, he was one of the founders of the whole Cosworth package that you know partnership that he put together. And, and he was in the UK. He came over to the U.S. Um, as the head of public affairs at the time that Ford was, unbeknownst to me, getting ready to get back into motorsports. And I was fortunate enough to meet him at a, at a dealer event that I was hired to stand out in the parking lot and talk about these cars, you know, show cars that they had. And when he asked me what I wanted from Ford Motor Company and I told him I wanted two engines because somebody would build a race car for me, I got one. Um, it blew up, unfortunately, but, you know, that was the door opener <laughs> that, um, that enabled me to keep my foot in the door until Ford announced their, you know, their uh, SVO racing program. And so um, I have to give credit to, or credit to.
1: You also have to give credit in 1992 to Dick Simon. A retired race car driver and racing team owner who took a chance on you, signed you up for the Indy 500. Tell me about that day when you were when you knew that you had a ride at the Indy 500.
2: Well, it actually came in 1988. Dick gave me the opportunity to drive an Indy car, which is all I had on my agenda to do. I wanted to know what it was like to drive a perfect race car, and he gave me that opportunity. And at the end of the day, I actually did really well. And at the end of the day, he said to me we can do this. He didn't say you can do this. He said, we can do this. So that was the moment I went, oh my God, I have a team owner who is an IndyCar team owner who sees my talent, who believes in me. I have to try this now. I have to make this happen. And so then that took four years in sponsorship searching. And when I showed up at the Indianapolis 500, I mean, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway at the beginning of the month with a race car and my name on it and my sponsor name on it and
1: JCPenney correct and
2: JCPenney yeah um and it was it was almost like it was it was Christmas every day it was just like Christmas every day
1: wow and then you end up winning the rookie of the year that year I mean the cherry on top of the whole thing then.
2: yeah that's true I mean I'm a very goal-oriented person and that was not on my goal I looked at how that sort of happened from previous years We had nine rookies that year and some very talented rookies that year. And I did have a better fortunate race than the others. But at the same time, it was a very unusual race. I still thought, you know, there's no way they're going to pick me. There's no way. There's no way. (laughs) I mean, I just, I'm a disruptor here, you know, and, and, and and that's okay. I mean, I'm here though, you know, and, uh, and when they announced that I, I, I was stunned. So, um, and I remember Dick saying, you know. This is something that will mean a lot more to you as the years go by. What do you mean?
1: You know, but boy, is not the truth. And you know, you talk about the fact that you did not experience any any sexism at the amateur level. Your husband and you went to races, and as an amateur, you're so busy getting your own car together. There's no time for, as you once said, no time for that shit. (laughs) <laughs> um, but you get to Indianapolis, and things are a little different. And, and in fact, you described even as a spectator in, in 1966, you couldn't get into gasoline alley, and you describe it as not a welcoming place as a female. And, um, and, and so all of a sudden, there, you're there as a, as a driver, uh, again, in a different era, pulled forward, uh, you know, a significant number of years but did you how did you feel the reception was to you then in that very first year
2: you know it, it was quiet in the beginning is the best way i can put it it was almost like i was it was like i wasn't really there it was kind of and and that was okay with me that's kind of the way i've always the, the way i have treaded the turf is to just show up do your job and let your lap times, your performance, speak for itself. I've never been one to pound a drum or you know try to make any attention. And and so what was great, though, I think I have this. I have to almost I'm making an assumption because no one, you know, you guys should talk to Mario Andretti and AJ Foyt and see what they thought because I don't know what they.
1: Thought. Yeah, yeah, good idea.
2: <laughs> but what I think is that because I had been racing for Ford. And I had been in the Trans Am series. I had been in the IMSA Camel GT series. My name was showing up. I mean, I was kind of a, a veteran race car driver in some of their eyes, I think. Never expected me to get to the Indy level because let's face it, my background and experience, that wasn't a natural path for me to be there. But I think it was like, oh, I mean, I caught this feeling that they would look at me and say, oh, hi, Lynn. And then like, what are you doing here? You know, it was more of a big question mark And I think that because my performance throughout the month of May got better and better and better and better as the, and thank God it was when we were there the whole month that I think as my performance progressed throughout the month, they gave me that latitude to just say, well, let's see how she does as opposed to not the attitude of what the hell are you doing here? You know, it wasn't that, it was more like, what are you doing here? You know, it was kind of this disconnect, but then it was, well, let's just see. I think I felt that's kind of how I felt they were thinking, but I don't know what they were really thinking.
1: But I never grabbed, asked them. <laughs> <yeah>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: and you certainly grabbed your share of attention, obviously, early on, and the better you did, the more attention that came to you. Did you feel that you were all of a sudden carrying this, this mantle to some extent? Did, did you inherit that and then accept it and say, well, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some trailblazing here?
2: Not not the not in ninety-two. In ninety-two I accepted it because I mean I, I was like, wow. I mean, because I watched what Janet was got a lot of attention too, but it was a lot of more controversy. It was more, I don't know, it was more disruptive. And and where with me it was kind of more this curiosity. Um, but again, with more respect because of the my past history was recent, you know, and 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 was it was respectful. I mean, to race at Le Mans, to have wins at Daytona and Sebring, and, you know, walk. I mean, it was respectful. And so um, I was treated with respect, but more with still question. And, um, but I did get a lot of attention. But to be honest, I had a business hat on. I represented JC Penny. I wanted them to get a lot of attention. You know, that was what I sold, I mean, to a certain degree. And so that's what I, I had hoped was going to happen. But as far as the sense of responsibility, that didn't come until after the race. After the race, I got so much fan mail. Hmm. And, and, and it started to build even during the month when people started cheering for me or yelling my name out. I mean, it, one time that happened and I thought they were yelling AJ Floyd and, and my, the gal working for me looked at me and said, no, Lynn, they're yelling for you. And so that's when I'm like, whoa, this is bigger than me. And then that's of course when I, you know, that's when I got the fan mail. That's when I started my own foundation. That's when the Billie Jean King lessons started to to come into my brain to realize this is bigger than me. This isn't about me. I'm here to do something that is going to help others. And so I started to really, but it took me a while to kind of, I had to walk into that space. You know, I in August, okay, Indy happens in May, right? In August, I was in Akron, asked to do the TV commentating for the um, Soapbox Derby. And I'm like, oh man, this is cool. I've always heard about the Soapbox Derby. It turned out that it was an all-girl final and all girls won each of, they have like three divisions, I think, all girls. So I'm on this podium, which is nothing more than a, a, a flatbed trailer with, you know, and with all the winners, the three gals that won the overall of their category. And the guy that was the major commentator says to this little girl who I'm ready to present a trophy to, do you know who this is? And I'm like, I'm Lindsay James, the Indy 500 racer. She looks up and she goes, no. <laughs> I'm like, this is great. I thought I had this heavy weight of responsibility. And I realized this, this kid doesn't even know who I am, which <laughs> put me right in my place, settled me down and said, Lynn, don't get carried away here.
1: <laughs> How did your life beyond the fan mail? And I, I'm, I'm sure there was uh, bags of it. How did your life change? Uh, how, did, how did the day-to-day change that maybe you didn't expect? Were the trips to the grocery store a little different going forward?
2: No. I mean, you know, every year when you run, when you are successful at competing at the Indy 500, starting the race, you get one of these. You get this ring. Yes. And the ring has a green. Beautiful star. ring. And it's a beautiful ring. It looks like a lot of people's class rings. It does. And I didn't go to college, so I don't have a class ring. And so the only time that it really changed, because I wear this ring all the time, um, and I wear it proudly, is that I would get challenged. Oh, that's a beautiful ring. Oh, is that your class ring? No, no. Well, what is it? And I'd say, well, it's <laughs> a ring from racing in the Indy and I literally, one time I was at the, coming at the grocery store, going through the checkout. And this woman who was at the, you know, the cash register, she goes, you did not. I'm, I'm having an argument with her. The guy standing behind me waiting to go through said, for God's sake, lady, she really did. Will you just let her through? Because I know I was holding the line up. And so, you know, it, it's, I've had some humorous moments like that. But the reality was, in fact, I, I tell the story because it's true. Literally two days after the 500, I'm in Detroit because of the next race was the Detroit race, right? I'm not racing in Detroit, but because I'm under contract to Ford, Ford asked me to be there to make an appearance. And now I'm there with Scott Pruitt and, and a bunch of the other drivers who are actually racing that weekend. And they're like, hey Lynn, how you doing? And I mean, all of a sudden this conversation was like totally normal and nobody said a word about me racing in the Indy 500 and getting Rookie of the Year. And finally I said, did you guys watch the Indy 500, by the way? Yeah, it's like, come on, at least tell me congratulations or good job or something. So I did expect the world to change. And you know what, it really didn't. It, I changed because I think I did something that I, to be honest, wasn't sure I could really do and, and because I desperately wanted to. And then I did and I did it well. You know, there was a sense of pride and fulfillment in me, even though it was unfulfilled because I was not done yet. I wanted to come back and I wanted more. Um, But I think, but other than that, really my day to day, I still went to work, did my stuff, you know, really life goes on. You know, you think these things are gonna be that big of a change. Maybe when you win the Indy 500, I've heard them say, the winners have said that their life does change, but I think really my life pretty much goes on.
1: Although you did, although your life did change, you got in touch with a woman named Billie Jean King. When did that happen, and what was that first conversation like?
2: Well, actually, I met Billy in the '80s um, because I started. I was invited to go to this big gala in New York by Ann Houser Bush, and it was for the Women's Sports Foundation, which she founded. And so I met her, which was life changing, just to meet your, you know, your Shiro. Um, and then listening to Billy, if you are in her presence for more than five minutes. And you don't think that you have some responsibility to change the world? You're deaf. I mean, mm-hmm. you're blinded. You're deaf because she comes on so strong, and so. But it was about women in sports, and motorsports was such a small piece, and certainly almost an insignificant piece as far as youth or other girls and women, as opposed to soccer and tennis and golf and all these other sports, basketball. I mean, there was so much work that needed to be done for women in sports. I took on that role and learned and became a volunteer. And, you know, I worked for them and then I became president of the organization. Um, this was all before I did Indy. So where I was the most excited with Billy was when she I invited her to come back to Indy in 2004, I think it was. She was the honorary starter on qualifying day. 2007. 2007, I oh, think. And there
1: you. were three female drivers.
2: Right? And that was, you know, they have more than one actually there and they have them all there. And we did a photo with her. And, but Billy was just, she was so, she loved it. I mean, she was so into the whole experience. She, she's, most honorary starters, they said they show up, they're there for an hour and they leave. Billy was there all day.
1: <laughs> wow. What do you remember from the first conversation that you had with her?
2: Well, <laughs> When you have a conversation, that first one, you listen. I mean, Billy's again, she's there to teach. She's a, she's the teacher. So that was more awe. It was more awestruck and listening to Billy talk. It wasn't until probably, it was after um, I had already raced in the Indy 500 that I actually had a conversation and, and that's when she was very, yes, complimentary, but really um, challenging me, you know, like I wasn't doing enough, even though I was still racing. I mean, most of the athletes that worked for the Women's Sports Foundation, like Billy, were former athletes. They were the Olympic champions of the past, the Peggy Flemings, the, the, the Carol Manns, the, the Donna DeVeronas, you know, these were the, I was still competing in the nineties, you know? And, and yet she's like challenging me. You aren't doing enough. Why aren't there more women here? Why aren't there more women? I'm like, Billy, I'm, I'm trying. I'm working on it. I have a driver development program. I'm going to go-kart races. You know, I'm like, I'm trying, you know, but she would just pound on me. And so, you know, that's Billy.
1: After the break, I'll continue my conversation with former Indy driver and Automotive Hall of Famer, Lynn St. James. And to see my interview with Lynn, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to see more than 50 episodes. Welcome back. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. And now the continuation of my conversation with former Indy driver and Automotive Hall of Famer, Lynn St. James. And to see my interview with Lynn, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to see more than 50 episodes. Let's go to present day a little bit. There appears to be a serious push these days to get more women in motorsports. Uh, Stefano de DiMonticali was on this program recently, and he talked about the push that Formula One is making. This has to thrill you to no end
2: well it it does because i now know that the the sport is paying attention i'm i'm a i think it's sad because it is i think is a result of the social injustices that have occurred over the last couple of years and i think it's raised such a stir that it's causing people to do what they know they should do there are some who really are believable who really believe it i mean who really understand, and it's not because of a reaction to a social injustice, it's because they know it's the right thing to do, and because it's also the right business thing to do to help grow the sport. But I just, but at least whatever the motivation is, at least it's happening. Um, I have felt like the Lone Ranger for decades, um, and now I know I'm not. I mean, now I can step into space and and I'm I'm grabbing arms and holding hands and, you know, pulling and and working together. I'm, I'm a little still reluctant and cautious about how serious it is and how willing they might be to be, to really be proactive enough, um, to put it as a priority versus as just something that we're adding to our list of things to do lip service. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still worry about that. Um, and also if, I mean, I'm getting old and so you know, and some of the, of the new leaders in the sport, you know, if they, if they really, I mean, I'm going to use John Doonan as an example. John Doonan is now the president of IMSA. I've known John when he was at Mazda and he was a supporter. He has been a supporter of, of diversity and youth. It created programs through the Mazda program, you know, that he did. And he was a supportive of my foundation when I was doing my driver development for decades. And, and John's still young, fortunately, and so I know that he, it's in his heart, it's in his, it's in his belief system. But not everybody it comes from that same space, you know. There, a lot of people are still coming from, oh God, we got to do this. How are we going to do this? You know, that's a, that's a reactionary, you know, with a, with with a, uh, it's just different. And so I just hope that the passion or the commitment, and it isn't really passion, but the commitment. Is strong enough that they make it a priority. Because if they don't, you know, you can't. If you don't change the way you do business, you can't expect a different result. Yeah. And, and so I don't. I want to see the changes, and it, you know, we aren't seeing that many changes.
1: Well, I was going to ask you: I, Do you see talented female racers rising to the top of professional motorsports?
2: I see professional. I see talented female race car drivers not great, not rising to the top level. Um. I, and, and what's disturbing is that we don't have a deep enough talent pool, we don't have enough numbers, that if the few that are there fall off because they age out or they burn out and get discouraged um, and move on you know, to something else, that we don't have a strong enough pipeline to bring it in. And, and so that'll end up with being a status quo or a, you know, we'll end up just, oh, well, we, she almost got there. I mean, she almost got there. You know, and then, oh, there, here's the next one. We'll see how she does. It it can't be that way. We have to have, we have to build the pipeline.
1: We've had Samantha Tan on this program. Chinese Canadian race car drivers doing exceptionally well in uh, endurance. Um, uh, You know, has the dream of being a 24 hour of Le Mans driver, but she admitted that she is one of very few when she looks around at her, her peers, especially in those early, I would say even preteen years of learning to drive a race car. Is that yeah, would imagine that you concur that um, there just aren't aren't enough avenues maybe to some extent.
2: Yeah, I mean, like the Iron Dames team, um, which is supported by uh, Deborah Merrin, her you know iron, she has a here's a woman who is completely dedicated and committed to this, and you know funding a team, and they were just on the podium, you know on the pole and on the podium at a world endurance Championship, six hours of Monza. But, and those drivers, they're excellent, but they're all, I don't know their exact ages, but they're like twenties and thirties, you know? And so, which is actually the right age. You, 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 all of us mature and get better, But and they've been racing for well, well over 10 years, each one of them. The problem is, is, that, uh, is that I so worry that it's like, oh, well, that's a great example, but we then, then it's fixed, it isn't fixed what's going to fix it is where are those next generations coming in? What are we doing with those, those quarter midget racers and those go-kart racers, of, you know, that are out there and there's no program. There's no, there's no system. Um, you know, every other sport have clinics or coaching programs or, or actual, you know, you look at the the tennis camps that they have down in you know Florida. I mean, they are grooming youth and, and, and all over the world, the countries are funding their young athletes to represent their company or their country, sorry. We don't have that in the United States. So it's 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 a free-for-all, and everybody figure it out on their own. And so um, there's no structure, and there's if there's no change to create a structure to develop talent, and it isn't just women, you know, it's it's other young. Who, who don't come from a family that have money or don't come from, you know, where some, some benefactor goes, oh, this kid's great and I'm going to fund that kid, you know, we're, we're still relying on independent or corporate or family money, because there's no structure, there's no structure in place.
1: Fairly or unfairly, racing is still often referred to as, as so-called old boys network. But as women rise to the top of the corporate world, shouldn't they do all they can to further other women in motorsports?
2: Well, I, I, you would like that. I would hope that. I mean, I dream that there will be a female Roger Penske on the you know, on the uh, timing stand of an IndyCar program or a you know, NASCAR and all of that. Um, the thing is, is that, let's face it, it's not that it's just a good old boy network. It is a, it is a network of passionate people. And so, and we all know that even the corporate funding comes from golf if the ceo likes golf it comes to racing if the ceo or the chairman likes racing you know that tends to still unfortunately kind of fall into place even today and and we don't have enough women and that's partly why the women in motorsports north america program that we now have which is really a community of professionals that are in the sport that i'm now I'm so excited because they have shown up and said, how can we make change here? Part of this is they, these are a lot of, these are very veteran women and men that support us in this industry. They need to take up some leadership and start sharing their passion with their peers or so that those women that are CEOs or CMOs or CFOs start to realize that they have Peers, meaning other women executives who have the passion um, and can start sharing that passion. I, I, I really feel that's our it's everybody's responsibility. It's it's the Alba Collins of the world who who was the GM rep for um, NASCAR forever. You know, came out of Puerto Rico, has an amazing story, and went to Grindstone Works, and now is highly regarded. Um, now works at Hendrick as, as the director of motorsports. I want Elba, you need to be out there talking to other women in engineering or other women executives. So I am I think it's our responsibility, meaning the women who have been successful in the sport, let's celebrate this, the people who are successful and let's let them go out and help educate and communicate and activate new people to come in. And that's new, it's not just kids. I mean, I, I've been sort of focused on the kids because of the youth effort that it takes for drivers. It, if you haven't had a successful race team effort and program by the time you're 25, unfortunately, I don't care what gender you are, you're gonna be aged out. You know, you right. have to show some success. It's different in the, in the business side of our sport. And if we had more women successful as CEOs, whether it's in this industry or in industries that support this industry, I think we would then be able to see more support. I think more women would then say, wait a minute why aren't we hiring a woman engineer? Why aren't we hiring, you know, a woman mechanic? Why aren't we hiring a woman driver? You know, they would start to pay attention to that. And so it's going to take a little time, but I'm convinced that this effort will take us there.
1: Are you still in touch with Billie Jean about all of this?
2: Oh, I am. I am just talked to her not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm counting on her to show up at one of our future events. <laughs> <laughs> Because if she, if she talks to you, you guys, I said, you're going to walk away going, holy crap, I got to go to work.
1: (laughs) I want to talk, you mentioned Roger Penske. Um, He appeared on this program last year in a, in a wonderful interview. And of course we all know about the captain's accomplishments, but I want to talk about the letter that he wrote to you. And this was the case of, um, not only shock and awe for being, um, uh, for finding out that you're admitted into the, um, uh, Automotive Hall of Fame, but Roger wrote the letter. Tell me about that.
2: Well, it was mind-boggling. It was right before Christmas. And and I mean, it was an email and I got, I opened up my emails and I went, I mean, I'm talking to myself to say, I, I have an email from Roger Penske. I don't get emails from Roger Penske. It was like, is this for real? And then I opened it and now I'm reading it. And he's telling me that I've been inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame of which he was inducted in 2015 and congratulating me. And I'm like, I'm stunned. And then attached is the letter, you know, officially from the automotive hall of fame, telling me that. And I woke up the next, I mean, I did kind of cry and scream and say a few things. I woke up the next morning and I thought, I think I had a dream, <laughs> you know, but it's not
1: real. It can't be real.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and so, cause I have some vivid dreams sometimes, but, um, It doesn't get any better than this. I mean, this man is, he is the most iconic, the most successful, the most poised, passionate human leader, you know, in in our sport. And and now with all of his uh, businesses in the automotive industry, it used to just be racing and then trucks and you know, Hertz. I mean, it was kind of, I never really looked at him as the automotive industry. And of course, now you pick up automotive news and those top 100 dealers that you guys list every year. I mean, he's right at the top or within the, you know, the top two or three. And so he's, he now speaks to the industry, the whole automotive industry. He speaks to the motorsports industry and, and he's ageless. And you know we all know he's not going to be here forever because none of us are but at the same time he almost seems like he will be you know it's like what would life in our industry be without a roger pesky
1: you 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 have met presidents uh you met president reagan president george hw bush president clinton where does this honor rank for you oh. and by the way you were also named by sports illustrated as among the top 100 women athletes of the century, Lynn.
2: 20th century. The 20th century, Jason. (laughs) And I was 98. I saw that, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) I don't run very well. But uh, yeah. Um, Well, to answer that that question, I think um, being in the Oval Office and being at the White House and meeting presidents, you know, is is an extraordinary experience um, because of the history that you are now a moment. You are in a moment of time. You know, even the. But I, to be really honest and candid, I was there with a group of women athletes. You know, invited with a group of athletes from the Women's Sports Foundation. So, yes, it wasn't St. James only. You know, I was part of a group. Um, very honored and, and very respectful to have the, that was those opportunities. You know, I think when you have a one-on-one that's really honoring you, um, you know, those are, I mean, to be really honest, the, 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 the highlight, a highlight, of recent highlight was Amelia Island. When I was the honoree at Amelia Island, all yeah. of the previous honorees were my heroes, you know? I mean, the Derek Bells and the, uh, I mean, Redmond, and I mean, th- these are people that I just have admired for decades. And so when you get a singled out moment, in your life that honors your history, your body of work, um, and and so and that's where the Roger Pensky thing becomes so significant because that means he acknowledges that too, and and it's not like I hang out with Roger. It's not like hey, what do you think? What did you think about me being at India? We don't have those conversations, so I don't know what he thinks or you know knows about me, and so that was a double singled out moment of. Lindsay James saying, holy cow, you know, so I'd have to say that that does take, um, that goes to the top of the list, you know, compared, I mean, and I don't want to compare it to going to the White House of the president because it, it's different.
1: It's a long way from a cooler in a blanket watching the uh, <laughs> Daytona races, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I got a couple of buddies that were around in that era too. You know, I've got one guy that's like my brother that he was my crew chief at my pinto, you know, and and so and then I had him as my crew chief in Indy in '94 when I was outside second row. So, you know, we've we've been together for a long time.
1: What do you hope if we talk again in five years? What do what do you hope for the state of motorsports, male or female in terms of progress?
2: Well, I mean. I'm not a numbers game in the sense of say, oh, we got a 50% or 25% or, or whatever, but um, I, I would hope that we would have more women in leadership. When I say leadership, literally at the top level, um, because not because of a number, but because they're passion. I mean, truly, and I don't know how long it'll take, but truly having, um, a woman that has come up through the ranks of their business life. And, and at the same time, they've carried that passion of motorsports all the way. So it's, it's in her DNA. And I would like to see more of that, not just one, but more of that. Um, and I obviously want to see a woman win the Indy 500. I mean, I, I, in my lifetime, I believe that can happen. You know, there's the talent is there. And the door has been knocked open enough with Danica taking the lead. You know, with having nine women have competed in the Indy 500 so and, and then of course it also is my, it's my thing you know so I, I really believe that in my lifetime without see a woman win the Indy 500 and, and I would love to just see, you know I, I when I go to go kart races or I, I see a lot of young girls so it's not like we need, what, what we need is a program I want to see a program that is just not about women but it's about really structuring, building a youth program to bring more talented young people into our sport.
1: One final thing. What will you say in your speech tonight? That is your, um, that is, that is the, uh, Lynn St. James Indy 500 moment of the speech. I know, I know you've been writing and rewriting the speech a few times, but what's the, what's the line that you really want the crowd to take away?
2: I would not Be in a position to even have had a career in motorsports if it wasn't for the people that said yes and that were voices in the room on my behalf when i wasn't there there were critical critical individuals and i'm going to name them because that's what made it happen not my persistence not my talent none of that 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 all had to be there too. But all of that would have been there with, if it had been there without those people saying yes, without those voices in the room, I know for a fact it wouldn't happen.
1: Congratulations on uh, being an inductee into the Automotive Hall of Fame and congratulations on a wonderful career. And Women in, Notor- Women in Motorsports in North America is the name of the organization. And Lynn St. James, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for the opportunity to share.
1: Thanks to former Indy driver and automotive Hall of Famer Lynn St. James. And to see my interview with Lynn, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel, where you can like and subscribe the channel to see more than fifty episodes. And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Cars and Culture SXM and on Twitter at Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. We'll see you down the road. Volume,
0: Sirius XM 106 is your 24-7 talk channel about music. Featuring shows hosted by musicians, including Melissa Etheridge. How old were you when you wrote that song, for goodness sakes? Goo Goo Doll singer John Resnick. Do you find yourself being more creative when you're in a darker place? Drummer Steve Jordan. You are embedded in American pop culture. Anthrax guitarist Scott Ian. I give a glass to my right and it's Mick Jagger standing next to me. This is Volume Sirius XM 106. Your liner notes to the world of music. Morning, sunshine. I'm Robin Mead. Let's jump right in and get you ready. Morning Express on HLN is the bright way to start your day. Some of the other top stories today that we're following for you. With the latest news that affects you. There may be a breakthrough for a stimulus deal. People are being advised to cancel or postpone outdoor activities. Thank you for letting us be the ones to start your day. Morning Express with Robin Mead. Weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on HLN Sirius XM 117. Hey, this is Karen Hunter, and at Urban View, we have a family of tough people. We are about making change. Who are willing to not just work, but to have a vision. We demand that the people take action. Use their power to make change. That's what really Urban View and The Madison Show is all about.
1: We invite you and we challenge you to create the world you want to live in. It's not
0: your typical talk channel. Urban View, Sirius XM 126.